I had all these things that I would hold on to. I call them golden handcuffs when you're a hairdresser. You stick in the area where you make your money. People are not afraid of moving. They're afraid of fucking getting out of those golden handcuffs. Hi, I'm Maddie Conrad. I'm Tabitha Coffey. Hi, I'm Mustafa Avsi. I'm Andrew Desher. Hi, my name is Kelly O'Leary, and you are listening to The Hair Game Podcast. Hey, listeners, Eric Taylor here. I can't believe that it's December already, December 2019. Before you know it, the holidays are going to be here. The new year will have passed and will be in January 2020. Let's get straight to the Podloop giveaway. This week is an Amazon Echo Show 8, which is basically an 8-inch screen with a speaker that goes in your kitchen or on your station at the salon and does just about whatever you want. Comes in black or white. And the winner is Viv Loves Hair. Viv, DM me at Ludwig Taylor or the Hair Game Podcast on Instagram. Tell me whether you want black or or white Amazon Echo Show 8. At the end of the show, I'll tell you what we'll give away next week. Now to Ben Mullen. Ben Mullen. Eric Taylor. Thank you so much for coming here. Dude, thanks for having me, man. The timing just worked on this really well, actually. So. It did perfectly. It did. It because, did. you know, I just got back from Hawaii. I was in Hawaii last week. What were you doing? I was vacating. Nice. Yes, I was vacant. Like a mentally. family trip? Yes. So I just got back, and here you are. Yeah. So super happy that we can meet up. Well, 100%. All right, so I'm going to introduce you, and then you can correct my mistakes. I like that. You're a hairdresser. You're an independent thinker. By the way, I stole this from your Instagram profile. Oh, did you? Yeah, because I found it really interesting. Oh, let's, yeah, let's go. Hairdresser, independent thinker. Correct. Stage coach artist. Yes. Minimalist. The times, yeah. Iron Man. For sure. Dad and husband. That's me. And for the purposes of the podcast, maybe most importantly, you're the head of the Ben Mullen Project. I am. Okay. I'm the CEO of a company called the Ben Mullen Project. So tell us your story. Let's start with where are you from and how did you find your way to hair? How did I find my way to hair? I am from the south side of Chicago, an area called Calumet City, Illinois. So if you fly in a Midway Airport, the regional airport of Chicago, one I actually prefer because it's just smaller. It takes about 30 minutes to get to my house. If you go to O'Hare, it's like 45 minutes. Yeah. So I've always lived like just south of the city, but I've always said Chicago because it's just easier. So I'm that kid that always grew up in the burbs, but I've always said I lived in a major city just so people thought I was cooler. Yeah, of yeah, course. Totally. Everybody does that. No, you're supposed to. And by the way, when I was in Hawaii, that happened all eight days that I was there. Oh, where are you from? Oh yeah, I'm from uh, the Bay Area. Oh yeah, the, tell me more. Cause my brother, oh yeah, I'm 40 miles <laughs> yeah, east yeah, yeah. of uh, Walnut of, Creek. Of where I'm I like, told you I live. 40, is that Sacramento? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like when people tell you that their baby's like 43 months, you're like, mother, don't, don't make me do math. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. yeah, my baby's 36 months. I'm like, three years? Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. Yeah, I get it. All right, so you're so, from Chicago. Yeah, south side of Chicago, and I currently live right now in Munster, Indiana, so I moved over the border. Hold on, I'm curious. What kind of kid were you? What kind of kid was I? Yeah. Just your typical punk rock Italian Jewish kid that grew up on the south side of Chicago. So who was the Italian and who was the Jew? My mom okay. was the Italian, so her Your name was Italian. Gaetana Calabrese, yep. and like my grandfather was like, and ragu spaghetti guy. Wait, her you know? last name was Calabrese? Calabrese, yeah. Oh my God, because I'm Italian. My okay. real last name is Di Giacomo. How did you pull Taylor out? 
I changed it. Did you really? My, yeah, my yeah, I, I changed it. My parents encouraged me to change it because Di Giacomo is a very difficult name to remember, to spell, to pronounce, to do any to use in one's life. And so um, when I was in high school, my my parents encouraged me to change it, and I changed it to Taylor. Nice. Yeah. No, it's my so, mom was the Italian side. My right. mom was the Italian side, yeah. and then I believe my grandma had like some Swedish in her. And we weren't doing it. We didn't ever done the ancestry.com, you know, right. so I'm just going on what the old people told me. Right. And then my dad Which could all be lies, by the way, dude, hundred <laughs> percent. It could all be nuts. <laughs> and then my dad was Russian, Russian Jew. Cool. So Soviet Jews that came over from Russia. So I guess I would just be like Russian and Italian. Yeah. And no, we grew up on the South side of Chicago and my mom was a grade school principal. So me and my brother, Eric, he's four years younger. We had to live in the district where my mom taught. And it was, we, it was cool. It was called Calumet City, Illinois. You know, we had a mall. We had a Sturks, a Pizza Hut, all that shit, you yeah, know? Yeah. And Chicago was always super close. So when I got in, started getting into music, we would take the train downtown and go to shows. So I grew up with a lot of like major city influence. Okay. Uh, but we were suburb kids, man. Played Little League, whole nine yards. So your mom was a principal? She was. Now, my, da my dad was a music teacher. Yeah. Really cool. Does that mean that you were good at school or you were not good at school? I was just not a, I hate saying the word I was a smart kid. I wasn't a dumb kid. Okay. So I was the guy that was able to get B's okay. with very little studying. Okay. And I sucked at math. And then when I realized that I probably was never going to use it, I was okay with that. Right. So that was pretty much, pretty much it. Okay. I was always quick witted. I was always tall for no reason because I always sucked at basketball. And luckily, like I've always had that like fat guy sense of humor, which. Nice. Yeah. So uselessly tall. Uselessly tall. But funny. Correct. Okay. Correct. All right. That's pretty good. That's it. All right. So why, why hair? I used to go to my mom and grandma. They would go to this place called Hair Crafters. And it was like a salon that you would see like if they had salons in the movie Dirty Dancing. <laughs> this woman named Beverly, but everybody called her Bev. Okay. She had a shop and my grandma would come in once a week and get the roller sets. And I just liked being there. I would sit under the dryer and read like highlights magazines. Really? And the back of it was like, you'd have to try to find something. No, wait, the highlights magazines for the kids. Yeah, right? 100%. Yeah, 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 I wasn't reading like Better Homes and Gardens when uh, I was like seven, you know? I'm like, did they had a yeah. uh, magazine about highlights? Yeah, it was like 80s <laughs> women's Cosmo. I loved it. It was such a good read. <laughs> And that was it. I enjoyed being around it. And I remember once I came in and I gave Bev a picture, I think it was of like Arnold Schwarzenegger from like Terminator. And I wanted like spikes in my hair. And like back, and you know, we're like the same age. Yeah. When you go with him with a picture and you're like, I want some spikes. And they go yeah. ahead and gel your hair up. Oh yeah. You go home and you feel like a god, man. Hell yeah. I was like, fuck, look at this. I yeah. can't wait to take this to school. And I would remember like, I would have wrapped it in toilet paper with all that depth gel, <laughs> like enough stuff to like literally like pan fry a whale, just putting it in my hair and going there. And I was like, this is cool. And then I always had clippers at the house for some reason, because my mom would cut her hair when we were little. She'd give us these like Joni Loves Chachi haircuts. We'd sit on the washing machine mm -hmm. and she'd just go foreguard up, cut the sideburns off and just comb it over and get it out of our faces. <laughs> we had asshole haircuts, you That's know, right. but I got my mom back later with razor cuts when I was figuring it out. So Vendetta has been completely settled. Nice. And that was it. I liked doing it. We had clippers at the house. My buddy Mike took a four guard, three guard, two guard, one guard, and just kind of gave himself a fade. And I thought it was cool. 
And then I had a girl I went to school with teach me how to French braid when I was like 14. And then I had another friend that worked at a Sally Beauty Supply. And I was always like good at art, you know? Mm -hmm. And she's like, hey, can you give me a spiral perm? Because this is when like you did that Paul Abdul and, you know, all that kind of stuff was going on. Yeah. And her name was Katie. It took me five hours to give her a spiral perm. And I nailed it and just read the directions and just put some care into it. It came out good, and then so freshman year, sophomore year, I was giving everybody like perms, and then just like you know, somewhat shitty haircuts, but yeah. I mean, it goes with the territory, right? And that was it. I graduated high school and went to beauty school because I just did, and that's yeah. that was it. And it was originally something to fall back on because I always played music and like did other stuff, and I was like, I need something to do that I can do with my hands. That's just a cool thing. You know, mm-hmm. I thought of myself as like a cabinet maker or somebody that was just able to use their hands to create revenue. Craftsman. Craftsman. Yeah. You know, you have your scissors, you have your belt, all these things. Yeah. And that was it. And that's when I was 18. And now I'm going to be 45. So I've been a hairdresser for, what is that, almost 27 years? Yeah. Wow. Uh, all of my life. I mean, yeah. give or take a couple of years here and there. Super cool. So how did the sheer genius thing happen? I was $50,000 in debt. I had... Why? Because I'd suck at business. Because you were spending too much? Obviously... No, because I, I took out... I opened up a record store. Oh. Slash hair salon. Slash music venue. And wow. we were in Lansing, Illinois. South side of Chicago. It sounds cool, right? Yeah, south side of Chicago. Of south side, yeah. And it was called Bossa Nova. And we had a great like first year and this is when people were buying CDs still and we had records and people were able to bring in old clothes and eventually we put a salon in there so we would people would bring in 10 CDs and they'd get a haircut so then they would get they would be thanking us and then at the end of the day we'd sell the CDs for 7.99 so I always joke and I said I used to at one point give $80 haircuts in the back of a <laughs> in the back of a guitar shop you know the back yeah. of a the back of a music store funny and so hold on. How old were you when you did this? I had my first salon when I was 21. Wow. Yeah, I was 21 when I became self-employed. So I've been self-employed for quite a while. And I mean, when I first started doing hair, I worked at a Supercuts for like six weeks, maybe even longer, maybe like a couple of months because it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, if I'm going to go to a salon, I want to go to a salon that I don't have to build my clientele. I just want to crank out these $10 haircuts all day and at least just get used to it. Mm-hmm. So I went to a Supercuts and realized that I was okay at it. My hands were always bigger and they took you through this like two day crash course. And I was like, okay, I know how to do the haircut number one, number two, number three, and the number four. <laughs> and that was it. I grew up by a salon called Armando Vasquez. It was just like a super nice day spa. And I went in there and applied and they hired me. So I went from a Supercuts to a really nice spa. And the guy that mentored me, his name was Armando. God rest his soul. Awesome person. And he's like, I'm going to teach you how to do bobs and layers. I'm going to teach you how to do old, rich, white woman hair. I was like, fuck, bring it on. Yeah, because they pay more. They do. And they're recession proof. Mm -hmm. And they just keep on coming every four weeks. Mm -hmm. Never got to worry about them. They plan vacations around it. Mm -hmm. And so that was my training. And in three years of working for him, I had a pretty strong clientele because he was just a busy guy and he just believed in building people. Like he wasn't in it for any other reason but to see you become successful because if he became successful, it was a commission-based salon, Mm -hmm. everybody became successful. So it just made sense. 
And I was living in an area called Homewood, Illinois, in a haunted apartment, actually, that I ended up moving out of. It's a long story. Okay. Long story. And one day when I was walking down the street to buy beer, I came across this place called CC Express, and a gentleman by the name of Joe Pachorik, him and Jenny Pachorik were the owners, and they sold me their salon. It was a super small space. It had five people that were already like in it uh-huh. that were working there. And that year I went from making like Supercuts money, like Armando money, which wasn't a lot. It was only, I don't even what I was making. It was above minimum wage, but I was learning something cool. Right. At Armando shop. At Armando shop. But then when I had my own shop, because it was pre-existing, I went from making nothing to like over $100,000 a year when I was like. Where'd you get the money to do it? Did you say? It was only 16 grand. Oh, I took $8,000 on a credit card, borrowed eight grand from my grandma. Uh-huh. And then that year, I grossed like over $150,000. Wow. What did you net? It was pre-existing. What did I bring in all together? Well, you know, what did you net? I don't know. I did have yeah. no clue. Horrible business person. My mom <laughs> did all the books. She literally, my mom did all the books. I had an well, accountant nice. that we had to, yeah. If she's good at it. Well, we had, we had five people okay. that were getting half of what they brought in. And some of them would average. So it was yeah. a commission shop? Yeah. Okay. Because that's it. how I bought it. Cool. That's how I bought it. It was all, everything was set up. So I literally just had to give this guy 16 grand and then I had my first salon and that was a moneymaker. Wow. And then after a year, the staff was like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and like, there's this tattooed guy comes in here out of nowhere. This fucking hood dude is just, you know, this hood tattooed Jewish guy just comes in out of nowhere. And next thing we know, like, I'm going to like Amsterdam and shit. And like, I was buying like <laughs> You're living the band life. equipment. Dude, we bought, we bought a Winnebago to bring to our shows when we were playing. So people think we were, so people thought that we were like a big band. I mean, oh yeah, I, I was living like an asshole. It was, it was awesome. Fantastic. I'm like, I've always wanted to drink Johnny Walker Blue. And then I would just buy a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue. It was, yeah, it was just an interesting go. time to be young. Okay. So I realized that I just, I just didn't like it. Like I've never been, I've never liked salons love hairdressers i just i've salons i liked them when i was a kid but having to own one was insane like there's something about running a business and then there's also something about being the one responsible for the tools to wipe their asses after they shit and i just hated the little things that just kind of went along with it like we're out of hand soap i'm like fuck I gotta buy hand soap? I have to go to Target? I gotta do all these things and- That's what I do. You're gonna want time off and we're gonna have conversations that are gonna be weird and if I ever have to let you go, you're gonna talk all this shit. And it was just, there was just so much that went into it. And so I opened up a record store with my buddy and the first year was great. And then like 9-11 hit and I swear to God, like Napster was like a year later. Wait, hold on. What did you do with the salon? I sold it to this guy named Chris. Okay, so one of of the hairstylists there in the salon? Yeah, I was just done. Like I had, I had two people that were gonna walk if I didn't fire this one girl because she was late all the time. Politics. And I'm like, I'm out, man. Yeah. You guys take care. I had my fun with it. You know, I got a little bit of a, of a, of a nest egg. I'm gonna go ahead and chase John Cusack's dream in high fidelity because it's always been something I've always wanted to do. Okay. Because I saw that movie, I was like, fuck, this is great. This guy's <laughs> got his you know, record collection alphabetized around moods, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, let me just try that. So at the time, me and my buddy Ryan, we were playing music together, we were living together. We opened up this shop called Bossa Nova, and it was like, we took out like a $50,000 loan, and we were paying it back. Everything went cool. We had a huge first order, and then we had like used clothes, and it would have been like our interpretation of what like an oasis would be for us at that specific time. 
at that time record stores, people would support them because we would have live acts there mm-hmm. and people would come. The $5 at the door kind of type mentality. Yeah. You know, we're right next to Amoeba. Oh, records, it's, dude, right? it's, yeah, it's classic. Yeah. Yeah. Amoeba's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. And then 9-11 happened and it's like Napster came out. Yeah. So people started streaming their music. So why, if you can get it for free, why would you buy it? Yeah. And then people just didn't leave their houses for a while because everybody was freaked out. And we started losing money. So then I was just like, well, let me do the salon in here. Let me get the salon going and just kind of see where we're at with that. Because at that point, I was just kind of renting a station uh, from a woman that had some space yep. right by my old salon. I was like, well, I'm just going to go across the street, yep. pay her whatever it was a week or mm-hmm. just to do my clients. And that was it. So we opened up the salon and the salon did pretty good. But at that point, we had the interest because we weren't paying the loan back. Oh. And then I was just like, fuck. So we couldn't get out of the lease either. It was five years. Yep. So we had to do like this two-year thing where we were still like financially committed. Yeah. And it just blew. So at the time of like sheer genius when that happened, I was like $50,000, $60,000 in debt at like a pretty high interest and working out of my house. You know, eventually I got done doing that. Plus a lease around your neck. The lease, we kept it open. We kept it open just to see if we can generate and also to see if we could rent it out to somebody else who might want to use the space. So it wasn't losing too much money. It just cost money to have it. Like, it's like we had the store, but it cost money to have it. But we were doing cool stuff. Like, we were through shows in there for a while. And then eventually we had a band that drew, like, almost, like, 400 people. And then the fire marshal came. Oh, no. So then we got shut down from doing that. So you were having fun with it. Having a blast. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. And so I ended up going home. And I had the Winnebago. And I was going to file bankruptcy. I was just like, I'm just going to do this. And I had a buddy that was living out in Vegas. So I was going to go and move with him and just start over. You know, and get a job doing hair out there, maybe audition for like a theater group. I mean, I kind of had a, an open interview for Blue Man Group at one point just to see if that might be something I want to do. Okay. Had you ever done anything like that? I mean, other no, than No, but I played music. drums. I've okay. played drums and everything. And okay. I guess that there was a way to, you know, anyways, I was just looking into options. Okay. So I figured before I would do that, I would take the Winnebago that we acquired when we were in a band and that I was going to go on tour with it and I was going to call myself the hair to the throne <laughs> and I was going to get a red suit with a feather in it like Cedric the Entertainer uh-huh. and I was going to drive around the shitty Winnebago and do a documentary mockumentary about hair and fashion okay and I was going to go to like Zenny Ohio because that's where Gummo was filmed and I was just going to do still in this mindset where I'm going to create like what would be just the ideal situation for me right okay. and I put it on Craigslist that we were looking to do it and long story short I got an email hey this is Bravo, or at the time, like Revel Magical Elves, or whatever the name yeah. of the production company was. Yeah. We're filming a show in, uh, not Chicago, we're filming a show in Los Angeles. At the time, it was called Top Hair. Okay. It's like a hair competition, like a real world Top Chef kind of type thing. Would you be able to, to do it? You came recommended from this woman named Lee Jones, who I did a couple movies with in Chicago. Like, I used to get hired for reshoots. Cause I was Wait, good you at, did movies with him. You did hair. On I did the, the hair for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah I would do the hair for him. Yeah, 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 just hustle stuff, man. You're working from home. Right. You're trying to get out to meet cool people. You're yeah. close to a major city. Yeah. You're a suburb kid. So you're like, well, yeah, yeah. nothing going on here. But if I hop in my car for half an hour, like right. people are doing cool shit. Right. Right. So yeah. Where was I going? So you're so sheer genius. It just kind of happened. It just happened. It just happened. And you then, just got the call and you said, yeah I'll, yeah, I'll do that. I said, I'll do it. And they said, well, let's, we'll meet you in Chicago. So I met him in Chicago and they said, well, to be honest with you, you, you you're good, this is going to be perfect. 
And I said, well, what do you need me to do? They said, well, make a video. I'm like, okay. So ironically enough, I always played music. Like the house, even when I was cutting hair out of it, I had two dudes in bands that live with me. I always had like some kind of a recording device and musicians around me. So I was always able to record like jingles, jams, like funny tunes, rock songs, and just have access to it. So I had made a song called Haircuts in the Summer. And it was about my life just kind of cutting hair in the summertime. And it was my buddy DK did the beats for it. And I just kind of layered just a nice acoustic guitar over it. And when they said make him a video, I was like, ironically enough, I just kind of made a hip hop song about cutting hair. I was like, can I make a hip hop video? They're like, sure. So I made a haircut video called Haircuts in the Summer. And you can find it on YouTube. And in Haircuts on in your the Summer. Channel. I just, I, I don't know. I think so. I suck with the internet, man. I'm just... <laughs> well, you have a channel. It's a pretty decent YouTube channel. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. You should have that on your YouTube channel. I don't... My buddy Nick has it. I don't think I have the original... But nobody knows who Nick is. So how, how is somebody going to watch this? Oh, no. I would just have to text him. All right. Be like, hey, can you send me that? Yeah, you're right. I should. You should. You should put it up on the YouTube channel so everybody listening can watch. That's fair. Okay. That's fair. Okay, so, so he came so out and we made a hip hop video to the song that I recorded like a couple weeks prior. And I'm doing hair like in my living room. And then I go to a Bikram yoga studio because I was doing that. Then I'm doing yoga. And then I'm like smoking pot with the dude that I buy my pot from. And then <laughs> going back to doing hair and I'm rapping about doing hair and <laughs> my nuts and all these things. So I sent it to Bravo. And then I was like, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> like that was my... My one opportunity, something I've always thought about, like, man, it'd be so cool to go to L.A. or Hollywood and yeah. just, you know, get picked up by a car and make a TV show or whatever, be in a movie. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck did I do that for? You know <laughs> what I mean? Why did I send him a hip hop video? And I ended up sending it to him. Long story short, they flew me out. I got the gig. I got second place. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. Got done with the show, came back, talked to Tabitha. Tabitha told me that I should work for a product company. At the time, she was working for a product company called Joico, and Joico gave me a call, and that was like 2007, and after going out for them for sushi, a couple beers, and a handshake, that relationship lasted about 11 years. Wow. Yeah. Very Just cool. on a handshake, man. Just yeah. completely on a handshake, and it put me on stage, uh, some pretty big stages. The first couple of years after the show, it was intense, man. Like We were heavily, heavily recognized people especially at hair shows, but even out of the hair world, which was, not, was so weird. Interesting. At the bank. A lot of people watch that shit, man. Isn't that wild? It's wild when somebody knows you and you don't know who they are. I mean, now I understand it because people can have, you know, you could have 7 million people can have access to your yeah. daily activity. Yeah. But back then it was so crazy. Like we were in Australia working, doing hair stuff and the girl that was selling the, the hats behind the counter says, uh, I don't mean to, to, to bother, but by any chance is your name Ben. I've been watching a lot of American TV. And I was like, fuck, man. I just got, I'm a, I just got recognized in Australia. Wild. I said, beyond that, I was just, you know, so it was crazy. And it lasted like for like a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then when I started working for product companies, I really liked being on stage, just talking to people and entertaining. And one of the first people to put me on stage was this guy named Jim. And he was an older Italian guy. And he gave CEU hours for the state of Illinois for continuing education. So he's the first person that put me on stage. He was maybe like 70 at the time. And he goes, hey, Ben, so just, just so you know, when you go up there, you don't have to be good. This was the advice he gave me. 
you don't have to be good. You just have to be fun and engaging. And I went up there and I was like, okay. So I said it today- It takes all the pressure off, like immediately, doesn't it? There's no pressure. I love that advice. Phenomenal advice. So before I started my stage career, working for major, major, major product companies, I did this very small, local, regional thing where we would rent out like small conference centers at like the Holiday Inn Express and sell like 100 tickets or 200 and people in Illinois would have to get their continuing education hours. So these are mandatory states that need education by law. So if you have your accreditation number, you're then able to go ahead and create a venue for people to come. And this guy had this company for 30 years. Wow. So it was just the backlog and all the mailers of anybody else. So, and I would do things like, uh, you know, I'm going to show you how a cool way that I caught a fringe. But what I'm going to do too is I'm going to load up my iPod because that's what was happening back then with a bunch of really obscure shit. I'm going to get a big ass thing of like Jolly Ranchers and Tootsie Rolls and I'm going to have like big snacks for like the grand prize. And if anybody can tell me what I'm playing, I will then go ahead and throw them a candy. <laughs> and then what I would do is if nobody knew who Morrissey was, I would who stop. Who know who Morris? You're, dude, nah, you'd be surprised. Really? You'd be surprised. I would stop and I would do like this two minute spiel about Morrissey and how dare you not know who Morrissey <laughs> is in front of me. And I would talk about the Smiths and doing this and doing that. And people were laughing and like having so much fun and they were learning enough to maybe try some new stuff, especially like with the cutting, you know, people love to watch cutting. They love watch dry cutting and they like stuff that they can do. So if you show somebody something they can do, awesome. But if you show somebody a good time, they never forget that shit, man. Yeah. They're so into it. And even I did that tour for eight years. So even when like, I was doing like a lot of the major hair shows, I couldn't wait to do the education and hair shows because that was just so much fun. So I took what I was able to explore and learn doing the education and hair stuff, and I took it to the big stage. And Joyka was cool with me doing it. And they were just like, yeah, just you be you. I was like, fuck, great, you know, fantastic. And that was it. So it was the regional tours that allowed me the creative freedom to not necessarily focus on my craft, which I was developing. I mean, I had phenomenal mentors. I was trained by Damien Carney and Sue Pemberton back in the Joyco Glory days. And they were two of the best hairdressers in the world. So at this point, my skill level was getting high, yeah. you know, because yeah. I was working for it. And I was around people that I just admired. I was like, fuck, they're so good classic and Damien always wore a sport coat and he was just British and brilliant and mm -hmm. could do something with a brush that I could never do with like nine men, you know? <laughs> and that was it. I ended up doing that show circuit for a long time. And then last year, December, I quit working for Joico. I was just done, you know, it's a long time. No more. It is a long time. Mm -hmm. It is a long time. And then with the way that the hair industry, shifted as far as like there was so much new talent coming because there was such a big pool that provided new talent and i said i'm not even going to try to compete with any of that i'm just going to focus on something else and when all this was going on with joyco i was asked uh, back in 2011 from a woman named monty hannah to train the younger stylists from joyco that wanted to be platform artists. And that's when my project got started. Yeah. 
because after TV, like Sure Genius, I had a crash course in how to sell stuff on QVC. Oh. And I learned so many like tactics as far as like how to set up success for sales based around this system called Monroe's Motivated Sequence. And it's what they teach on like QVC and like the home shopping network. Like my favorite example of Monroe's Motivated Sequence, which is attention getter, problem solution call to action. I have to remember. Let, let's say that again. Attention, attention getter, getter problem, problem solution, solution, call to action. Yeah. For every problem that you present to the table, you have to offer a solution. So if I was like, oh shit, I saw you just cut your knee and I have a Band-Aid. Look, I have a Band-Aid. You're not going to wait right. and then come back and just list all these problems and come back with a solution. And then attention getter is like my favorite example of how Monroe's works is life alert. So life alert, oh, there's crazy grandma standing on a chair, dusting the fucking ceiling. <laughs> oh shit, ah, grandma has fallen down the stairs. <laughs> Fuck, grandma's going to die, right? So that would be a really strong attention getter, right? Yeah. And obviously the problem from that is crazy grandma lives alone. She fell down the stairs. She's not going to make Christmas, right? Like it's right. not looking good. Right. So the solution is you tag grandma. You know, you gave you gave grandma a tag. You put a necklace around her that she can. If she falls, she can press this button. The paramedics come. Grandma is saved. Right. Another scenario. Grandpa now. Oh, that son of a bitch. He's taking a bath. Right. <laughs> Whoops. He tries to stand up and whatever. Does a backflip. Knocks himself out. End of the story. Grandpa's grandpa's gonna not live. It's gonna be bad. Right. Tension getter. So problem. Obviously, it's the same thing. Can't be all these places. But the solution now is this waterproof version of life alert. So now it's another feature and benefit towards this product. And so the call to action is how to get it, how to obtain mm -hmm. it. But call you're, now. Call now. But you're never going to get across problem solving, like problem and solution, without an attention getter. An attention getter is probably one of the hardest things to figure out how to grasp somebody's attention. Do you do it dramatically? Do you do it with your grammar? A you sound, scare them. you scare them, just come out and just break the, bite the head off a bat, yeah. pull an Ozzy, you know, right, right. that was an attention getter. And I started practicing stuff like that, like when I would sell products and like when, when Joyco would have like a powder lightener or bleach that we'd have to sell, I'd be like, orange again. I would just start <laughs> off like Billy Mays. I'm like, but not anymore, <laughs> not anymore. Again. Your powder lightener lifting five levels of lift? Well, shit. Not the you know, not the not the blonde life, man. This shit get nine levels of lift. Count them. Nine, not seven, not eight, but nine. So let's talk about certain scenarios. How many times have you? And I would just go into it, and I wouldn't do it like cheesy, like game show cheesy, but I realized that it was just a brilliant way to think, man. Especially if you're in a setting where you're based upon sales. Yeah. So I would just plug in the creative process and everything that I learned from Jim and just I worked around that a lot. And then when I got asked to do the training, I reached out to a speech and debate coach friend of mine that taught at a college level and two of the funniest motherfuckers I knew. And they were both like improv people that really? studied it and everything. So yeah, the project came speech from- Speech and debate people at a college were improv people too? Speech and debate person was different. And then oh. the improv people were different. Okay. So as opposed to reaching out for hairdressers for advice on how to put this formula together, I said, man, I'm going to think outside the box because I think like the hairdresser thing is cool, but I don't think it's got anything to do with what I was asked to do. So they gave me all their different like manuals and encyclopedias. And that's when the project started. And up until two years ago, 
I would just carry around this little black book. I got it in my, you know, a different one, but I have it in my backpack. And I would see what would work and like what wouldn't work. And I would do things like after lunch, I'd have people sing karaoke in front of everybody. And it was just like this horrible fear, but they wouldn't die. And for some reason they would feel better after being vulnerable. And then the speech and debate coach that I did, she's like, you know, you should make people do like these historic speeches, like the Martin Luther King speech and put them all the way in the back of the room and like, you know, go from like a one would be a whisper and a 10 would be like a blood hurtling scream. See if you can get people to go to like six or seven. And I was like, fuck, it's so cool. It's so creative. Wow. So they would do these speeches that I would put together or that I would write, like the I had a dream speech. And I would have these shy, reserved, beautiful, insecure people that just needed somebody to tell them they were brilliant, you know? Screaming at the top of their lungs, <laughs> this speech. And I would watch them just so come so out of their shell. And that was like the first training. And then I would just do things that wouldn't work or they would work a little bit. And I always tell people to think about the five W's when you have an idea and you want to be really creative because the hairdresser mind is so one dimensional because we work with just like a surface area. But when hairdressers tap into like what makes them brilliant at doing hair, they unlock a beast, man. Like a lot of people don't practice on how they present themselves. Right. I mean, you can uh, present yourself based upon your appearance. You could look good, but a lot of people never practice like an introduction. Mm -hmm. Like, hi, my name is here. I'm from here. You know, they don't rehearse anything. Mm -hmm. So I realized that a lot of people that think that they're nervous, they're not nervous. They're unprepared. There's a huge difference, huge, difference. huge difference. Yeah. And then a lot of people have the habit of when they're nervous, they, they drink coffee. Which is the worst thing you can do, well, right? Well, I mean, like common, common law, you would be like, man, my heart is beating really fast. Well, you know what'll make you feel better? Let's make it beat a little faster. Absolutely. Because <laughs> that'll and chill this, it. Then this will really make it <laughs> that, That'll chill you the fuck out. Like a big espresso <laughs> will chill you out. And I learned that from like a singing coach and like, you know, some people. Not drink coffee. Not to drink coffee because yeah. it accelerates your heart rate, right. which is going to accelerate your tempo because a lot of it is just your rate of speech and the rate in which you communicate. So if you're a fast talker 90% of the time, but then you're only on stage in front of other people 10% of the time, you have to develop different techniques and different rituals in order to fulfill that need because it's unexplained, unexplored area. Yeah, right. So it's setting up a system for when you have to present yourself in front of others. So all of this is super cool. And of course, one of the main purposes of the podcast is for people to get better listening to the content that we're delivering mm -hmm. in their own lives so they can get uh, better personally, better behind the chair, uh, better here, better there, right? And so this is, this is kind of one of the big things is um, public speaking. And, and I, when I say public speaking, I want everyone to understand that I don't define it in that formal sense <laughs> that I think a lot of people might interpret that. I think public speaking is, is not just when you're standing somewhere and delivering something formal to a group of people, I think it's simply as uh, it can be um, as common as talking to more than one person in a social situation. Right? 100%. When there's three people sitting around, they could be your friends even. But it could be your significant other. <coughs> exactly. It could be your parents, anybody. Or your kids or whatever, and you're saying something, whatever it happens to be, 
that's public speaking too. Correct. And I, I recognize in my, <clears throat> in my own brain that I used to be different when I, when my brain would be conscious that there were more than three or four people listening. I used to all of a sudden have a little tinge of anxiety compared to if I was just talking to one person. And I recognized that. I thought, how stupid is that? I know John and Paul and Sarah, you know? Why mm -hmm. am I all of a sudden nervous when Bill walks over? I, I know Bill, right? But all of a sudden, all four of them are looking at me. Mm -hmm. And I can, I, I tense up a little bit. So tell us how you're solving this problem with the Ben Mullen project. Like, what is it? Is it classes? How much does it cost? Where do you go? There's two day workshops. The project's two day workshop. So there's three tiers that are involved and you have to go through tier one first and it's for anybody. So I work with a lot of hairdressers, but I also work with like real estate sales. I've worked with introverted teens. I've worked with agricultural sales, a lot of people just in general, just a lot introverted of teens. Like how do they find you? It's just, you're it's out weird. There. Yeah. I'm out there to a point. Yeah. But it's like when people find out like you're ordained and you can marry people, you randomly get people that want you to marry them. There's just this <laughs> sub culture of referrals, which I just love to have that be my business. That's card. the magic. Isn't Dude, it? You don't have to do anything. You yeah. just, you know, if you do good stuff for good people, good things will happen. Same for a hairstylist. Of Same course. for anybody, Yeah. anybody, you know, and I create a safe place in which to be vulnerable and which to grow, which is 100% non-judgmental. And you are with people that not only understand your want to become more confident and tap into things that you fear. I mean, a lot of people don't even realize that the, the power there is in the dark place that you go to in your mind. A lot of people will spend so much time being embarrassed of the fact that they might be depressed or suicidal at one point or had suffered from addiction or anything like that. But the energy that it takes for that emotion is more powerful and more fulfilling as far as energy would go than it is to be happy. Being happy is actually easy. Being sad and being tortured and being driven and feeling inadequate, that takes so much energy. So if you harvest that energy and find ways to make that creative energy, you're basically unstoppable. So what I do with the two days that I have people for tier one is I teach them how to breathe. I teach them how to get comfortable with looking at people when they're discussing stuff. How to breathe when they're speaking to multiple Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Like at the end of a sentence, you want to wait one to two seconds before you start. And also your rate of tempo. I have not paying attention today because I'm not on stage, but probably just out of habit. I have a very systematic way to my speech because I've been teaching it now. So a good way that I tell people to do is that if you like follow your heart rate, you almost get like, like a metrodone. It's almost like a count. I'm, I'm looking for it. I know it's in there. It's in there. Jesus, it's like barely beating. You might want to go to the hospital. <laughs> I think I've got a problem. You might want to have Donovan grab a fibrillator. Can we fibrillate you? No? That We would film that. If we, yeah. Would you die, though? It wouldn't be very good on audio, but, but we would. We could <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't be good on audio at all. It'd be great that we did it on audio, though. I don't think it would kill me. Ah. Okay, so, so. So you feel it, right? I, yeah, I feel it. It just, it feels 
slow, yeah. steady. Right. So if you match that with your rate of tempo, so it's like drums. So if I'm just like, hey, everybody, what's going on? My name is Eric Taylor, and today I am at Salon Republic with Bun Malin here for the hair game. So, so for the listeners, Ben's got a. He, I, got I mean, he, he's acting like he's hitting. It's like a I'm drum. hitting a hi hat. Yeah, hi hat, mm -hmm. which is part of a drum set. You got it. Yeah, the cymbal thingy. So it's just like I teach people just to follow a rate because people be like, "Well, I'm such a fast talker. I'm fast." Well, if you're a fast talker, that's great, ninety percent of the time. But if you're going to be in an environment where you want to share information, you're going to want to share the information in a way that's so easy to understand and to take away that you know, you're going to people, more people are going to listen if of they, course. if they could communicate. Right. Right. So things like that. And then we practice it and then what to do with your hands. Like, you know, how, how, what is it, what does comfortable look like? Like what does alpha look like? So even if you're a beta person by, by birth or just like very submissive as a personality. Beta is submissive. Alpha is aggressive. You got it. hundred percent. The trick is that if you're very uncomfortable and extremely awkward, how do you appear to be confident? Because how people perceive you is who they think you are. And there's a feedback element to that, right? There's a respect level with that. Like, yeah. who do, how do you want people to see you? Right. Do you want people to see uh, a dominant presence? Do you want to see people to see you as articulate and smart? Are you looking for fun and engaging? Or, you know, like, what are the adjectives? Like, what are you, who do you want to be? Yeah. What are you trying to do? And I always, people ask when I do my class, I said, name, where you're from, and why you're here. Because if you ask people why, you get an interesting story. What's the most interesting response you've ever heard? Of why people would go ahead and... Because that's one of my questions. What, a lot of the people who come to your class, why are they going to your class? So when people ask why that they're there, it's because they've known somebody that has gone through it, and they're there to, to get outside of their comfort zone. So people's purpose for coming to me is that they have heard that I can bring people out of their comfort zone and have them reach some kind of an aha moment about what they're able to do creatively, internally, and then how to externalize that in front of other people. And everybody that comes to my class and a lot of hairdressers will say, I am here because I want to become a platform artist. Perfect. Why would you like to become a platform artist? because I want to be on stage and work for a company. Excellent. So when that person comes in, I know exactly what they're looking to do. And I understand it because I did it for such a long time. And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Like, yeah. let's turn you into a superstar. Like I get so excited, like almost like you would if you were like, like a, a writer and you just put like a boy band together. You're like, I'm going to make, let's make you, let's make you huge. <laughs> like if you understand social media and all that stuff, you go ahead and handle that. And I'll go ahead and take care of like helping you create like this little monster. And you say that to people that are like scared or like timid, but then when you mean it, you can tackle anything. It's just like endless, you know? So it hasn't right. really been anything like completely dark or anything crazy. It's all been people wanting to basically share the same goal. They want to walk away and they want to feel different of what they did. But everybody's just like, I want to be out of my comfort zone. I want to be challenged. I want to be pushed. Mm -hmm. And so far it's been over 300 people in three different countries. Wow. Yeah. In a year and a half. Uh, a little bit more than two years with that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So what are, what are the top three things that somebody can do if they want to become a better public speaker? 
overall, just in general, it's you have to figure out what you would like to publicly speak about. So it's knowing, not necessarily like your end goal with that, because that's such a big word, but knowing like a timeline of what it is that you are going to, what's, your, what's going to be your topic, what's going to be your area of expertise that you're going to speak about. Is it going to be hair? Okay, great. I always recommend people to talk, to figure out when they start speaking, to write about something else that they don't do professional on a day-to-day -day basis. Because I think that the guy falls into, I have a term called a life habit, Eric, and it falls into your life habit creativity. So you're going to be using words that you've used 10,000 times. So when I find people to write down three areas of expertise that doesn't pertain to hairdressing, some people look at me and say, I don't have anything else. And I said, that's what we need to work on. Are you a mom? Well, yeah, I'm actually a stay home mom. I'm a single mom, my husband. Okay, let's go there. Let's talk about it. Like, let's, let's write it down. Let's get creative with it. Let's tell a story about it. I didn't know I can do that. Oh yeah. Well, can I talk about this? Like I had a guy this weekend that when he said, well, I don't know what to talk about. He said, well, I was in the military. I said, that's cool. He's like, no, but I was, I was programmed when I was there. And the amount of PTSD that I had when I was out of it. And I said, there you go. I said that that would be a topic that might be considered to be incredibly inspirational for people to hear. I said, and the fact that you're a hairdresser, that's just the universe's way of allowing you to communicate your story to the other people that are coming into your chair. I said, so that's going to be your gift to the people that you're able to practice this journey on. And he's like, <laughs> and then you hear him practice it after like an hour of, or two hours of putting it together and breaking down with a partner. And the whole time I'm looking at their eye contact and making sure that when they're doing it, that they're just aware of things that would make them look uncomfortable. And that's probably the best advice I think that I could give to anybody is to strengthen up your areas of expertise outside of your career. Because if you can lift heavier weights, then when you go to the early thing and you have to make it hairdresser accessible, all you have to do is turn it on. It's plug. You don't have to work on it. You don't need to learn new techniques. Powder lightener's powder lightener. Hair color's hair color. Really is. Everyone's got a phenomenal product at this point because it's all been tried and tested. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I believe it was Ford, like in the 1930s, that would go to the junkyards and see the parts of the car that were still working on the other makes and models. So just to understand, like, hey, this is what works, this is what doesn't work. And my goal for people that want to get into this just in general is to be, be an inspiration. You know, don't worry about being an influencer. Be, be inspirational. Yeah, I love because, that. Well, there's longevity with that. There's a longevity with that. And then it's something that you can perfect over time. You know, you can get into it and you can work on it. It doesn't involve physical strength. It doesn't involve hurting your back. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people when they're doing that stuff to keep everything private. So I think that would be my second advice. The first one would be find a way to talk about an area of expertise. Even if you were a good swimmer back in high school, maybe, hey, write about swimming or training. Mm -hmm. You know, if you ever ran a marathon, like what was that like? Or if you had crazy trauma in your life and you feel like you might want to talk about it and live it out and just see what it's like to say it out loud in front of people, it might feel good. I mean, it feels good for me when I talk about like depression and suicide and all these things. So it's, it's cool. You know, it's an interesting part of the brain 
to explore what I was talking about earlier. There's yeah. such a creativeness that lives in that world. So my second advice would be when you start to develop this content, do it with the video in front of you and try to do it for X amount of minutes. But then when you watch that video back, flip your phone over so that all you can do is pay attention to the audio because that's the audio that you created when your heart rate was accelerated and when you're nervous. You can write shit out all day, but unless you're fucking Fonzie, you ain't going to remember it. So that would be the second advice. The third advice, really ask yourself if you want to do it. Do you want to become successful with this avenue of your life? What's the end goal with it? You know, where do you want to go with it? Do you want to do it because it's a cool catchphrase? Like you want to have a, a motivational tour or you're just going to take a bunch of people around and they're going to tell their stories and show pictures and do this and do that, which is totally cool. Or are you truly looking to be somebody that is able to inspire other people? Because if you are, you're a mentor and being a mentor to people just in general, there's a great responsibility that comes with it because you have to hold yourself accountable for your own actions because hypocrisy does not work in the world of motivating. You can't. There's no way. You should just be a fucking cult leader, right? Yeah. Plus, so, people can tell. <clears throat> people can tell, but also people that really want something, sometimes they're, they can be delusional. They're so like, I just need something. I'll do anything. Let me just, this seems like a great idea. Let me just do it. But when you take ownership of your actions and you're able to walk the walk and talk the talk, then I think that you're able to become somebody that would be motivational or inspiring for other people. But until you get to that point, I think you have to really dig down deep if you're somebody's story and somebody is a current day human being that has that ability to inspire others. I love that. Now let's kind of move over towards the uh, introverted teenager because that's fascinating to me. Um, what, what things do you find most effective when talking to such a person? Same thing as adults. It's the same thing. It doesn't, it, it be, unanimously be, doesn't change. So when I worked be, with- Because the teenager is not trying to be in a motivational speaker, not trying to be on stage with Joyco. No, or anything, or right? anything. No, they're not looking to be hair artists. They just want to be more confident. A lot of the parents would send them to me with uh, thinking it was a public speaking class or like a motivational class or, and a lot of times they knew what they were getting into because it was like a recommendation from like a hairdresser. And then I started meeting these kids and talking to the adults that knew them and said, yeah, he's just so hyper and he'll use like all these words and he's in his room for hours playing video games and this and that. And we just don't think he's going to, I don't know. We just want him to take this class. And I've had a couple teenagers and the one specifically that I worked with when he gave me his testimonial, he said, you know, I, he said, I'm a lot, but you know, he was a kid, you know, he was a kid and he was so <laughs> excited that he was going to be able to talk to, he think he used the term real people. Hmm. So people outside of just like his friends and like his close circle and like the digital world. Yeah. But he was so excited that he was practicing and communicating with real people. Wow. Okay. And it was just, yeah, it was just like, holy shit. Right. You know, so There's, if you take, he has a lack of that, that's, that's frightening. Yeah. Well, think of, I mean, 
you know, I mean, it's, I'm so closed off. Like I live, I'm like a piece of veal, man. I do, I live very, <laughs> I, I, piece have my, of I, I have my wife chained in a, in a damp room. No, <laughs> I have. Maybe that's what we should call the episode. <clears throat> piece of veal? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. So no, it, it just, you know, so it's been just different people throughout the years. And that was even like a couple of years ago. And occasionally I just get a straggler of just somebody that's completely out of like a different business and lifestyle. And they just knew somebody that took it or they'd randomly follow me on social media and they're just like, yeah, I want in. I want to see what you got going on. Do you ever get somebody who's so shy you just can't break through in those two days? I, and I'll, I'll keep them nameless and after they listen to it, they're going to be like, dude, why didn't you just say my name? You know, <laughs> I have two artists that I've been working with uh, for the past couple of years. I'm just going to say their name. It's a hairdressing podcast. Okay. So I've been working with Cat uh, Colette, Cat Colors, yeah. and Garrett Roach for several years now. And I call them my children, and I just absolutely love them. And they both did the project about maybe two and a half years ago. And the fact that they're doing what they're doing right now, I couldn't be prouder of anything. I remember us having to to bring Kat back in the room, just, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And I remember Garrett, which is all this hair that he would just hide behind. And I remember by the end of it, he was just headbanging. And I gave him this partner, this woman named Shay Napier, and we brought him out of his shell. And then Kat just got it. It's like it clicked. And then we were at the, I was at the Riot Squad, which was awesome. And it was because of Garrett and, and Kat, because, yeah. you know, Lexus and David, they use them for a lot of shows and they knew that they had my training and mm -hmm. you know, it's just how, how that makes me feel though. Like just in general yeah. that I literally had a positive part to do with somebody's like financial success and they open, you know, they have salons and all this stuff. And, but just to be, even when I'm around them, they said, yeah, this is our mentor and it just feels so good. It's amazing. Yeah. That I'm like, holy cow, that's like the coolest thing, yeah. you know? So yeah, I love what I got going on right now. But then again, I, I fear it, you know, How's because that? you always fear the unknown. But I thrive off of that. You know, I love not knowing what's coming next. There's just such a excitement in life if you're like that. You never know How what do you to reconcile expect. That? It's it's fearful when, and you thrive off of it. I do, because when I when I cross the finish line with that, I don't think about how I was scared. I think about how it feels to be successful. So and that's basically like kind of where I'm at, you know, cause I got three more of these for the rest of the year. And then I got some engagements next year. Like, you know, I, Cosmo Prof has hired me to, to do some speaking. So I do these empowerment speeches. They're like about an hour long, like 45 minutes to an hour and it's on PowerPoint. So I have one called the empowerment project where I tell my story. And then I have another one that I put together called the art of communication. And then I have one that I just call minimalism. And it's not about like living in a tiny home or anything else like that, or just, you know, having two pairs of socks and one pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. It's about a mindset of how much do you have to do in order to live a happy life? You have to do all these things or, you know, what can you live without kind mm -hmm. of type stuff and still be happy and successful, like taking risks. So give me some examples that are surprising. As far as as far as how you're living as a minimalist, well, I've I've decided I've I've adapted a minimalistic life. So what that means for me is that a year and a half ago, after my mom passed away, I like I found out my dad had cancer. Like it was just like the shit show of the week, you know, like stuff out of nowhere. But my mom was handicapped. My dad 
was, you know, not in the best of health and, you know, but awesome people. Long story short, I came back from doing a project in Cuba, actually, for some Canadian clients of mine. And I came back and everybody was so sympathetic towards me because my mom had just passed. And I was like, man, I've always wanted to take a risk. And at the time I had the salon with all these employees. And I said, I fucking hate my salon. I love the people that work there. I love most of the clients, but I fucking hate it. Like I've been telling myself for such a long time that I just, it's just this awesome thing. And now it looks cool taking pictures and all this stuff. And I was like, I fucking hate it. Like I have a stage life and I'm working weekends and it was enough money to live. You know, my mortgage is super cheap. You know, I live pretty cheap where I'm at. And my wife's a hairdresser, a phenomenal one, like a chef, uh, you know, awesome mom. She had a vegan restaurant for three years. She's won competitions and she's like studied in London. I mean, she's like literally the best hairdresser I know. And she does hair during the week and I just stay home with a little boy, you know, and it's, that's excellent. I love that. What's her gram? Your wife's gram? Angel Hair Griffith. Angel Hair Griffith. Angel Hair Griffith. That is Angie. Very yeah. good. So Angel Hair Griffith. Even though you hated your first salon, you got you ended up I, with another salon. I always ended up with salons, and they were always busy, <laughs> but I never made any money because I made it so hairdressers wouldn't leave. So I would always give them like fifty percent, sixty percent. I wouldn't take product costs, and they'd never leave. So I was putting out good work. I had happy stylists. Granted, I was broke. I had to work my ass off to go ahead and do it, but I had cool salons. And like I said, I'm a horrible, horrible business person, <laughs> especially when it comes to salons. But I always had cool shops and I was more obsessed about the experience than I was the, I was, and I always, I'd always justify it. I'm like, well, with what I got going in, it's kind of like I make what I keep. So that's cool. I don't have a lot of overhead. Like I just justified it like this, <laughs> this, yeah. Various phrases yeah. that you told yourself. Oh, repeatedly to yeah. the point where I just believed it. So I got rid of it. I gave everybody two months to find other places to work. And they did. And when I came in after two months is when I got, and I literally like I unlocked the door and then I got a phone call from the Look All Stars being like, we want you to be on the Look All Stars. I said, fuck, that's crazy. The now, timing that's on that's the TV just, show on, on what? I think it was on, it was on YouTube. I oh. thought it was going to be on the CW. Oh, okay. I don't know what that, I mean, the people that are in charge of it, like there's this woman named Mina that runs it. She's awesome. It was a great group of people. I was on the show with Presley Poe and I got to meet her and Sam V I've known for a while. So I got to hit basically see a lot of people that I knew. It was yeah, awesome. And then, cool. you know, it was a YouTube video and then Tori Spelling was the host. Okay. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when I met Tori Spelling, I gave her a hug and I whispered, I love you, Donna Martin in her ear. <laughs> Not do? like creepy in her ear. I was like, I love you, Donna Martin, you know? <laughs> and she's like, really? And then I was like, I love you, Donna Martin. I just said it again <laughs> and she's laughing. You know, That's I was like, really I have funny. to, like, I just have to. There's no way that I couldn't. Okay, so hold and on. so I got rid of the salon, and it felt pretty good because I had enough like Joico gigs to last me like the rest of the year, and I'm like, it's enough. So, and at the time, I knew that if I still worked at the shop by myself, it would be good. So back in March of last year, yeah, March of 2018, I went into work after doing this huge hair show called Destination Education in the Dominican. I got back from that and. After that show, I was like, I think I'm done doing this. Like, I think I'm just going to kind of do the project because I kept on thinking about like, you know, like kids like Garrett and like Keon, the barber and yeah. these people that I was just really starting to work with and develop like really strong relationships with and just care for. And like, I'm like, man, these are just awesome human beings. 
and I trained this farmer named Phil Pickett that went with his wife that was a hairdresser from Lincoln, Illinois. I saw him on your website. That testimonial right there, I said, this is, this is awesome. Like I, I should definitely pay attention to this. And my life habit at that point turned into just, you know, working weekends, make him getting paid pretty good enough to live for sure. And then just kind of coming back. And then March, I went into the salon. At the time I was just kind of working by myself and then Angie was coming in from time to time. And I announced on Facebook Live that another form of me not becoming minimal, so talking about minimalism, getting back to it, mm-hmm. I got rid of a staff. So getting rid of that staff got rid of that responsibility. Mm-hmm. So when that responsibility went away, when I got used to it, I then realized that I had other time to focus on other things. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have known that if I didn't get rid of something. Because mm-hmm. I could tell myself to do that, but if I can't subconsciously feel the need to do it, mm-hmm why would I do it? Yeah. It's just like challenge myself, you know? Right. So, so, so by minimizing, you create room for other things that, that maybe are more fulfilling. You get time back. You create time. So I said, the one thing I don't have right now is time. So how, what do I need to get rid of to create more time? And that was the salon because it didn't bring me joy. It actually brought me a little bit of revenue and income. And I love the people that I did it. But I had no exit strategy. I had no end plan with it. If I would have fallen down a flight of stairs and couldn't work for a year, I wouldn't really made any money. You know, yeah. it was just this thing. Yeah. So more time. And then in March, I went in and realized, okay, I got enough Joyco gigs. And then Ange was just like, and at the time too, like my dad was, you know, living in a nursing home, a nice one. But, you know, I'm still dealing with the fact that my mom just died. And it was cool. I got close with my brother and, you know, we took care of the house and everything. And it was like after that, when we got done with that, I went into work and I said, this is my last haircut. And I went on Facebook Live and I said, everybody, thank you for the last 26 years of doing it. Because a lot of my clients would follow me on that. But after today, I'm no longer, I would no longer be doing hair behind the chair. And then my buddy Dan came in. I remember drinking a shit ton of tequila, like pretty <laughs> quick. And then I went home from that. So no salon, no job. I'm just going to kind of work weekends and, you know, hang out with my dad while I can, while he's still alive. And I came home from that and it took two days. And then after that two days, I was probably the most depressed I've ever been as a human being. Wow. It was the darkest place I've gone as an adult to the point where I actually had to tell my wife that I felt like my life was in danger. I was thinking about taking it. And I said it out loud and then I ended up like, you know, because think about it. You... I got rid of everything that I've ever worked for, for the simple fact that I wanted to see what would happen. That I knew that I was able to buy like a year of time and I knew that with the people that I've met in my journey of what I've been doing, that nobody would watch me go down and my family go down if my integrity and my spirit was in check. So as long as I stayed honest and led by example, I felt like the universe would take care of me. (laughs) In some shape, matter, or form, I knew I'd be okay. And plus Angie is a phenomenal hairdresser and she's busy. And she went in and did a a bulk of my clients and had her own clients on top of it. So we still had revenue coming in and I had my weekend job. So So what was so depressing about it? I was so used to doing the same thing for 26 years that when I stopped doing it, I didn't feel like I had an identity. You were rudderless. I didn't have anything. 
I was just like, wow, I didn't you realize. You felt like you didn't have anything. Sure, because you're so used to this. Yeah. You're so used to looking at things in a, such a specific way that when I got rid of the, the salon and then the employees, and then when I stopped going in all the time, it was such a part of who I was yeah. because I did it for so long that I didn't know what was going on. And then everything, I had time to think. I was like, holy shit, my mom's dead. Holy fuck, my dad's got cancer. Like, fuck. And it wasn't like a depressing thing for me. It was just like, okay, this is what I have. And I've always said that if you don't find the beauty in life, it's really hard to find purpose. And I didn't have purpose for a second. And I just really didn't know what to do. Hmm. Long story short, I'm fine. Nothing happened. You know, it's all good. I think it was just, I met, I talked to this woman, uh, she's a real smart woman. Her name is Marsha. And I had like four sessions, four sessions with her, four sessions with her. And told her what was going on and it just felt good to talk. She said, honey, you just lost your parents. You got, you know, one is terminally ill. Another one just passed away. You just got rid of this and got rid of that. She goes, I don't think it's like a midlife crisis or anything. I think you're just shedding old skin. I said, and you're a smart guy. You know, she goes, I, I wouldn't worry if you weren't, you know, so I came back a couple more times and then I started feeling great. And then she want to talk about dream interpretation. I'm like, eh, I don't know if I can do that, man. <laughs> you're not gonna want me to put like a dream catcher on, you know, over my head and stuff. <laughs> And that was it. And so I started to stay home. And that's when I really started to go into the project. And I gave Tabitha a call. We hopped on the phone. And she said, make it so it has to be successful. And that resonated with me too, because I had all these things that I would hold on to. I call them golden handcuffs when you're a hairdresser. You stick in the area where you make your money. Mm. It's just that simple. People are not afraid of moving. They're afraid of fucking getting out of those golden handcuffs because it's they're afraid of losing. It's tricky. Mm -hmm. It's tricky to get those golden handcuffs again. You know. So what what does it mean to make it so that it it has to be successful? Don't rely on anything else except it. So I didn't have the salon money anymore. I didn't have client money coming in. All I had was shampoo money coming in. You know and. You can only stretch something so far when it's not producing. So, so you're going to be all in, almost back yourself into a corner where you've got to figure it out. Yeah, if this, this has to work, because I've given myself no other alternative. And one post on social media, and within that one post, which I think I did like in January, I had enough projects booked till June to make it so that I would be good for like the whole entire summer. Isn't that amazing? One post though, somebody who follows nobody. And that's when I started to defollow on social media. Yeah, and explain to listeners, you, you don't follow anybody. Not on my personal, yeah. no. I did for Asshole. a while. And at one point I remember like <laughs> looking at, like I followed like Snoop Dogg and I think <laughs> God I followed. I didn't know God had an Instagram. It's not good, you know, it's not good. And like a couple meme ones. But now what happened with me is that after I got out of my funk and when I realized that I had this time that I went ahead and started to create, I got super active. So I started running and, you know, since then I've got myself to the point where I was able to, you know, successfully complete a full Ironman. That's amazing. You're nuts. wearing an Ironman shirt. I am. Yeah. I am. And I am. you have an Ironman th uh, tattoo on your that neck. That was the goal for, if I said if I can, I always wanted the tattoo when That's I found out that cool. you get a tattoo. 
But then I, I wanted to like two things. I was like, if I can finish the hardest race of my life, I could probably get a tattoo where it's supposed to hurt the most. And this thing sucked, man. Wow. No color. I was like, Aww. get that thing out of here. <laughs> but no, I, I created more time. You know, I just created more time. And then I stay home during the week with my son. That's amazing. So I drop him off at school and then pick him up. And he's got piano lessons on Wednesdays. And I take solace in cleaning the house and doing laundry and shit. It's awesome. And then I do two haircuts a day still. At, at home or yeah, I set up a like a like a like a we'll say like a a mobile station. Okay. I got a really big deck at okay. home, and I just kind of have a room that it's almost it looks like one of these, yeah. you know, yeah. just just enough, perfect, clean. Yeah. Got to work on my lighting, but whatever. Yeah, wasn't supposed to be a haircutting station. Right. So yeah, I do all my secondary moms and stuff, and cool. people I've done for a long time because my background's precision cutting. Okay. So I would hate not to be an above average haircutter mm -hmm. because I just stopped doing it. So mm -hmm. that and haircutting classes are always fun to teach. And I was like going to them and mm -hmm. eventually I see uh, a big resurgence with cutting classes coming back. Mm -hmm. People are trying to find a way because the, the biggest reason why you don't see cutting from stage is that cutting doesn't sell color. But the minute somebody figures out how cutting can sell color, there's going to be a lot of a lot of cutters at work in totally. the next couple of years. Yeah. All right. So I love all of this. Um, something you and I talked about before that I thought was pretty <coughs> funny. You do a lot of presentations. You host a lot of presentations. I do. You and I met at, uh, at Orlando Premiere. Yes, we and did. And you're about to go on. You hosted that show. I did. Yeah. So talk about the preparation uh, day of a show and kind of your mindset before you go on. You have to get rest before you go on. You got to get rest. You got to get a good like eight hours, eight to 10 hours of sleep. You just have to. And then, you know, figure out when you have to be there. Make sure everything's cool at home. You know, don't, don't chase the, the lifestyle. Don't chase the culture, you know, be there for the people that are hiring you, you know, and just be a professional, be a pro, yeah. be a pro. And so game day with that, like, I wake up and I went to the pool. I didn't have to be there till like five o'clock. Yeah. So I just stayed, drank a lot of water, stayed hydrated, took a nap, you know, talked to my wife, got lunch with a buddy of mine named Mark. Mark Galati from Toronto came out, my bud. Okay. He was nominated. And so hung out with him, talked about our kids mm -hmm. and just, you know, chilled. Yeah. That's all the time. Yeah. Cause when I have to be on, like I got to be on. Yeah. So, and at the end of the day, when I'm, when I'm done doing that stuff, I'm like, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm toast. Mm -hmm. So even if I go into it talking and being like super social, I have to be super social. Like when I'm done with it, which I enjoy, mm -hmm. but you know, I can't be social like the whole day. I just, it's exhausting. Right. Yeah. Are you nervous beforehand? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, you get excited. You know, it's, you're always going to have like that level of just like, ah, here we go. But it's all breathing. You know, you have to breathe and then let it down. So the more times that I get to be like super fucking nervous. I'm like, oh my God, this is such a big thing. <laughs> I just mess around with it. And I'm like, fuck, that's Slow right. breaths. This work. Yeah, deep breaths, just deep to slow breaths. it down. And I don't do the coffee before I go on. Remember we had talked about alcohol. Yeah. I told you I didn't do alcohol, but you know, if I had to, I could smoke a joint like eight hours prior yeah. and just you know, get that out. But no, you don't wanna do alcohol and yeah. anything else like that. It's just, it's unprofessional. Right, you know, it's just. It's, I mean, if you're with your boss and you know, you're sitting there sipping scotch, watching baseball or something, I, yeah. I get it, you know, yeah. but it's, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. 
Plus, if you drink too much, you have to pee. And then if you got to pee from stage, you're done, man. <laughs> you're done. You know, if you have to pee. That's true. I tell people with the coffee, too. They're like, what do you mean no coffee? Yeah. I'm like, you want to like have to shit in like 45 <laughs> minutes? You just had breakfast and you just pounded an iced coffee. What do you have? A, you want a suicide mission? <laughs> you talked a little bit earlier about some of the tactical things that you do. Like you mentioned hands. What to do with your hands. Correct. What do you do with your hands? I think I'd rather tell you what not to do with your hands. What do you not do with your hands? You don't put them in front of your genitals and start rubbing your hands together like okay. you're baking a cupcake. But what if that's most comfortable for you? I, I mean, I'm trying to be authentic. If I was to stand in front of you and present and you were in a room and all I was doing was basically like checking myself for testicular cancer, <laughs> you would, all you would look at is just like, it looks like he's given himself the role. <laughs> You know, that dude is giving himself the nut roll. Do, do you put your hands in your pockets? Do you cross them? Do you cross your arms? The like, best thing to keep with your hands is like, if you were to stand up and shake hands with somebody, it's where your hand goes the minute it comes back. That's it. Keep them at your sides, man. What do you, what do you look like when you walk? Isn't it funny how awkward that is though? To stand with your hands just there. Well, people want to fly away. Right? People are hugging themselves and stuff. Right. Squeezing their butt cheeks all doing kegels over that exercise is all puckered up like you know really? but just yeah you just find out like what's natural and like even if you video self videotape yourself in your natural habitat man just yeah. put a put like an eric cam in the kitchen and just see like how you walk you know where yeah, your hands go when they go down look when we started the podcast <laughs> i listened to the first few episodes i hated the way i sounded yeah so i i bought a book you know i read the book i what did was the book exercise. what was the book called I think it's called Vocal Power Okay. by some dude who lives here in LA. That sounds like you'd want to sing in a metal band with vocal power. Yeah, it does. They teach you the until, ah! until you is look it? at the cover of the book and then you're like, wow, this guy is so nerdy. Yeah, he's not like he's no, there's nothing docking cool about or anything. This guy. Yeah, okay. No, yeah. He's got a tie on or something in the book. Does he? But it's about, um, it, it's about this guy who is a vocal coach here in LA and he's, he's had lots of clients who are famous singers and lots of clients who are famous uh, uh, speech givers and performers mm -hmm. and whatevers. Um, and he talks about breathing and, and all that. And just, I, I listened to the audio version of the book and I think it helped me a lot. Um, I need to review because we're going back two years now, but mm -hmm. I hated the way I, uh, I sounded then. And I, I don't mind it quite as much now. Gotcha. If you could wave a wand and change anything about the industry, what would it be? Wow. If I could wave a wand and change anything about the hair industry, what would it be? I got it. I would want the older people that have been doing it for a long time to feel the excitement of the younger people that are bringing into it as opposed to fearing it and disliking it. And pointing out all the things that they're doing wrong. Well, you put yourself in such a public forum and you become successful and millions of people can go ahead and view you, expect to be criticized. So what did you, of course, you know, that's, that's with anything. You can be with 10 people and be criticized. But I think that with the industry, how it is today, that there's a lot of people that are either older or even like younger that are comparing themselves to unrealistic expectations. On the gram? On anything. Money, 
personal things like, well, I thought I was going to be making $80,000 a year. I'm one of the people that would say, I don't really think Instagram has that much to do with hairdressing. It's just nothing to do with hairdressing. I think it's just a place where hairdressers post pictures of the work. So I think the industry with that is completely different. I think product companies jumped on that as they should, because here you have a band that's basically been on tour by itself. That's already sold merch already has a brand. Oh, it has an identity. So now you don't have to work with people. You can actually find people and then have them work with you. And that's great. And that's a lot of work for these people too. But then you talked about the influencers. Sure. Yeah. Or anybody, yeah. anybody that becomes popular for anything, content creators, but the people that are creating content, there's also people that have been creating content for years and they didn't have a way to get it out there and do this and do that. So there's a lot of people that are feeling around right now that are mad at hairdressing because they're not living up to this, this expectation that they've grown so comfortable with, you know, watching and being like, well, that's what I will. How come this person's doing this and how come they're doing that and comparing yourself to anybody. So if I was to, to wave a wand is to let people know that you're still, you're just, we're all hairdressers. And you should never take anything that can be viewed in the public and have that get in the way of how you feel privately about the career and how you feel about yourself or any kind of like level of like inadequacy. So I'd want people that didn't see that, think that they were successful to know that they are. And just for everybody, just to get back to that. Love that. So at the end of the- Did that make sense or was that mumbo jumbo run on? <coughs> that was a tough one. Uh, it, it was, a, it's a tough question. That is a tough question. No, I liked it. I, I thought the, that you laid out the general point well, um, that, the, that the older gen should- If I could wave a wand, hairdressers would just be called hairdressers. Versus? Anything else. There'd be no other title. They would just be hairdressers. What, what other titles annoy you? No. That, they don't annoy me at all. Uh, none of the titles annoy me, but like, I don't think there would be like a, like a, a guest artist or an international, this oh. and that you'd be a, a hairstylist, a the, stratif the, the status labels, I the think stratification. That the, yeah. I think that the stratification, I think it can create unnecessary worry or oh, okay. anything like that. Okay. No, it's not like the word influencer or nothing like that. It's just, got it ways to identify like almost like a sub genre, like rock and roll is just rock and roll. Mm -hmm. What do you play? I play rock and roll. Well, you can play indie rock and blues Delta and this and that, everything else, but you, or you can just play rock and roll. So I think we just need to get back to it's one seed. Everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone's got the same problems, the same triumphs and tragedies, but quit comparing yourself to other people. So I'd like hairdresser just to be like, this just unanimous community where everybody just vibed off the other one and everybody's just like, yeah, we do the same shit. Like you go to a hairdresser in nine states from here and you're carking around a gas and you're in front of a hair salon. And just because you're a hairdresser and that person's a hairdresser, it should be like having like a frat brother, like being like a Freemason or some shit. <laughs> you can just know that you can go to that person's house and crash because you know they're good people. So that would be, you know, it's a big thing, but the big yeah. question that you asked me, but yeah. that scenario that I just created, yeah. that's what I would I wave, wave a wand to create for hairdressing. It would be that opportunity for us hairdressers. I love that. <laughs> All right. So at the end of every show, we do the hair horror story. So okay. I, I did for the audience's edification. I did tell Ben about the hair horror story question just so, to get you 
um, primed, allow you to think about something. Mm. So what did you come up with? So back in the days of the record store, when we had Bossa Nova, and I will leave the, the name. Well, I, I, can I do two real quick? I got sure, two. I course. got two. But I'm going to give you. But they have to be good. You can't give us one Dude, good one and one shitty one. Come on, man. <laughs> you me? I basically have like, like a couple that are tied for silver and then one that's kind of gold, you know, like for the most part. So there was this woman and she was like androgynous before the word androgynous. She, she like something some fucking Star Wars, you know, like a, like a tater tot. Okay. And she was like, she used to make me cut her hair like super short with those like rusk scissors, those alpha blades, take all the chunking out. <clears throat> And she was just a straight 6RR rocket fire by Shades EQ, you know, this bright ass red hair and this, <laughs> these spikes and shit. And she was like, like a tater tot. It's the best way to explain it. And one day she comes in and she says, hey, I want to know if you'll be my weight loss coach. I said, well, what does that mean? She's like, well, I'll be in here every four weeks. I'll make an appointment and I need somebody to help me monitor my weight loss that's a good idea <laughs> yeah it got weird though man <laughs> so <laughs> fucking real weird and i'm like okay that sounds great and like you've seen pat from snl right mm -hmm. it was just yeah. like like that like i can't so month goes by and it's like my last appointment maybe we said it at like 5 30 close was at like eight or whatever and i go in there and and throw that six RR on her, man. Fucking bake her ass under a dryer for 20 <laughs> minutes. Let that shit cool down for 10. Rinse it with cool water. You know the routine. And I'm done with her hair and everything else. And she's like, oh, okay, great. Well, hey, I'll be right back. So she goes out to her car and she comes back in with this like big ass gym bag. It was like a fucking scuba <laughs> bag. It's huge. <laughs> Seriously. What? And she puts it on the shampoo chair. And she pulls out this like VHS, like a sport VHS, the one that was like yellow. <laughs> and she puts a VHS out and she puts it on my shampoo station and presses record and play. So everything I'm about to tell you right now exists <laughs> somewhere in VHS format from back like in like 1999, right? I'm surprised <laughs> I haven't seen my ass in like Romania on a fucking billboard or I haven't hit the internet or something. Oh my so, God, okay. All right, I'm with so you. record and play. And then she looks at me and says, are you going to measure me or what? And like, kind of like being like mean to me. <laughs> so I take the tape measure and then I watched like the largest person I've ever seen get completely naked in front of me in the back of the salon while the store is still open. So at any point, kids could have came in and seen me standing back there so I'm like, holy cow. And when you don't expect to see like full nudity, <laughs> like everybody seems brighter. It's like looking at the fucking sun. <laughs> and she just had these like gigantic flapjack titties. It was just so insane. So she hands me a tape measure and I said, well, what are, what are we gonna measure? I'm shocked, right? <laughs> How could so you I, even speak? Just, I'm surprised I didn't swallow my own tongue. And I measured like each like boob. You did? Yeah. I you, was like, you didn't ask questions? Like I was in shock, man. <laughs> like I was like, and I was like, is the video camera necessary? She's like, I'm just doing it to document my weight loss. And I was like, what's going on? You know, am I getting, you know, you're nervous. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what questions to ask. 
So then, like, I measured, like, the lengths of her legs and, you know, like, diameter of, like, butt cheeks. <laughs> you measured her the neck. Length yeah, her legs. Like, up here. Because like, I was fitting her for a suit. doesn't change. No, like, if you went to a men's warehouse or something, oh, I was like, oh, you're, okay. I don't have anything to judge this by. And she had a little list and everything. I was like, is this legit or am I, what's going on? So then I go ahead and I'm like, okay, all right, we're wrapping up here. I go ahead and look in the bag. And it was the biggest thing of baby oil I've ever seen in my entire life. It was, seriously, dude, it was like a beer keg. It was just this heat with a pump on it. Like if you buy the gallons of shampoo, yeah. it was like one of those bottles. Why? And she was just like, well, she had a Polaroid. She goes, well, let me at least grease up and we can take some photos by the, by the shampoo bowl. I'm like, huh? That I'm was like, no, no, I think we're done. She goes, maybe we can take like a back shot. It was out of control. I'm like, okay, time to go, time to go, time to go. And then she ended up leaving. And then like I locked the door and I'm like, I ain't leaving the house, man, you know? <laughs> and it fucking wow. freaked me out. And then like a month goes by and then she calls, she wants another appointment. So she went ahead and came in, never talked about it. And then yeah. I did her, I did so her hair she... for like a year, but check it out. I did her hair for like a year and then she lost all this weight. Really? So yeah. You are the best weight loss. Yeah consultant out there but that's what happened to me though like i was in a situation like that i've never heard of anything like that no 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 and it and it, it worked for her she lost weight yeah but i didn't <laughs> understand what was going on man <laughs> you think she found somebody else to help her i don't know i literally don't know i have no clue that's and then, extremely interesting i i am speechless side stories in two different situations I've had people shit their pants while I was doing their hair. No, come on. Full dump, both older. Yeah. I got two dumps. Two. <laughs> two dumps. <laughs> two dumps. I don't know if they sharted or like had the flu and like held a sneeze, but I have had two grown ass women Ooh. shit their pants while I was doing their hair. And what'd you do? Did their hair. And then the guy at the time I was working for, he spoke some Spanish and he's like, Do you shit your pants? You know, I'm like, I was like, she had to have. Like it because fucking reeks. Cause it reeks. Yeah. Well, when somebody poops, like you're, you're, you're you going to you're gonna smell it. It's not yeah. like farting, you know? Yeah. And that was it. You know, she paid for her ticket and then she took off and was like super embarrassed. Right. And Another time, same place. I don't know if what kind of shampoo this guy gave her. He must have just like, like pinched the back of her. Like you know what I mean? Like the note. What's that note on South Park that they hit and everybody poops their pants? Like note H. I don't know if he just did like the the note H shampoo or whatever. But she comes over to my chair, and then one of the guys is sitting there like pretending to go poop in the garbage can by the water cooler, and they're laughing and laughing and laughing. So she comes and sits down and I get the tailwind and I'm like, no fucking way. I'm like, again, this is an epidemic. Like, and it was only like how, how, yeah. six months. Oh really? Yeah. It was like a six month thing. I was just like, do people come here to poop their pants? Maybe it's you. And listen to Maybe what happened. Listen to this. Listen to this. <laughs> I've been making this up, man. I'm crying because I haven't talked about it in such a long time. Same salon. These two kids came in off the street being like, hey, we want to sell you some candy, but can we use the bathroom? And there were two kids and they had chocolate bars, like the ones that you would sell for like a fucking band fundraiser or yeah. whatever. And they were in the bathroom like forever, right? So then they came out of the bathroom 
And then they went ahead and left. Okay, thank you. Anybody wants to buy some candy and this and that. So <laughs> three, three minutes go by. And all we hear out of the bathroom is a blood hurtling scream. Like a, <laughs> like you walked into like a murder scene, right? These kids had shit. Listen. And open, open area, man. They didn't use the toilet. I don't know no. if they did it in napkins or what the deal was. And then they like straight up like... AWOL style <laughs> attack the bathroom with no. it. Yeah, he had to take drywall down. Come on. And yeah, he had to same, take drywall down. Same place. You couldn't just clean it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was such a nice place, Eric. It was such a beautiful salon. Oh. But now that I'm sitting here crying about it, there was just so many people <laughs> shitting in there. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense, oh, man. Oh my god! It doesn't make any, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So those would be my. Uh, that's why I said like there's kind of like a three-way tie with like the silver. <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah, it wasn't like frying other people's hair, or giving yeah, them blisters, say, and sent them to the hospital. Yeah, we've all been there. But yeah. yeah, wow, truly horrifying. Yeah, three stories at the same place that have to deal with like public defecation, like that one. You yeah. Know? Wow. Any last words for the community? For the hairdressing community, yep. keep on doing what you're doing. Just keep on doing what you're doing. And don't base any success off of anything external, ever. Think about yourself, you know, really think about yourself. Love it. Where do you want people to look for you first? You got the Ben Mullen Project on, on Instagram. Instagram, correct? And Mullen is, is M O L L I N. Yeah, right. And that's okay. where I I follow, you know, some hairdressers in the UFC, <laughs> and just <laughs> that's where I get my scrolling. You know what I mean? That's okay. where I that's yeah. where I do my scrolling is yeah. on that one. Yeah. And then my personal page is just me, and I just kind of keep it as a a camera for you know things that I would consider like important parts of my life, or just things that I want to remember. Mm-hmm. And then the project is very couple testimonials you know i i love having the the curiosity that's involved with what i teach okay and it's it's neat for me to have that when people are just like i have no idea what to expect but i'm going to come i love it and the website is is www.benmollenproject.com and that's where i saw your future dates class dates and all that kind of stuff yeah i got a couple more for the year and then another one in december and then I'm going to try to hit New York in January and then, yeah, I got some Cosmoprof speaking engagements and I leave from here to do a, a motivational segment uh, for Fantastic Sam's in Minneapolis. I love it. It's great. So I'm going to leave the listeners with a final visual. Uh, ben is sitting in front of me and he, I just noticed an enormous gold belt buckle that says Ben on it. This was, yeah, it, I didn't, I lost a bunch of, after I started running, I was able to like get out of my, like, you know, my fat pants. And then I realized <laughs> that, awesome. that with the pants came this belt yeah. that I used to able to wear back in the, back in the skinny days. Yeah. I didn't have a belt buckle. When I started getting rid of all my shit, I was just like, I, dude, I'm not going to wear this. And I just got rid of it. And the only one that I kept was the one that I bought from fifth grade, man. <laughs> and, uh, love it. So this is the only belt that I had. Otherwise I would have to wear like that, like Kelvin Klein, TJ Maxx reversible thing that all dudes have. And <laughs> oh, I'm like, yeah. I ain't wearing that thing out to LA, man. Fuck that. <laughs> love it. Thanks, man. Yeah, for this sure. A lot of fun. You got it. Hey guys, I'd be super appreciative if you would screenshot this episode and share it on your Instagram stories or your Facebook because word of mouth is so important for podcasters. 
Next week's pod loot will be a $100 gift certificate from Amazon. I figure that everybody is buying gifts for other people this time of year. And either you want $100 to help buy gifts for other people, or you want $100 to buy something for yourself. So that's what we'll give away next week. Two weeks from now, we're gonna be giving away another iWatch. I think this will be our third or fourth iWatch. So if you haven't written a review, now is a good time. For a chance to win, write a review on the Apple Podcast app or Stitcher.com for Droid users. The review has to include your exact Instagram handle so I know who you are. Make sure you're following the Hair Game Podcast and Love Eric Taylor on Instagram, and then I put your name in my bag. Each week, I pull a name and I announce the winner at the beginning of every episode. You have to be listening to win so you can DM me your mailing address. If you don't win, keep listening because your name stays in my bag in my office. You can win any week on any episode. For complete details, go to salonrepublic.com. That might have been the best, the fastest and clearest outro that I've ever done. The FTC, who regulates these giveaway type things, would be proud of me. Next week's episode will be with Ashley Levitch from Bang Style. Until then, have a great week.